How many of you have ever seen a sign like this before? All right. Okay, plenty of you. John 3.16, we all love that verse, but you're watching a football game, all right, and it's a moment like this. Uh, the kicker is set for the field goal, and you look through the TV screen, and there's this view through the uprights, and there's that guy right in the middle of the uprights holding up this sign, jumping up and down, shaking it, John 3.16. And we love this verse, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I mean, we love that verse. And if you're a Christian, you know, you look at that and you say, hey, there's my brother, you know, that's my brother in Christ. And amen, the whole world right now is seeing John three sixteen. You know, maybe that's the case. Unless it's your team and that field goal really counts. And you're looking through the screen and you see this guy jumping up and down with the John 3.16 sign. And you know your kicker needs to make that field goal. And so you're yelling at the screen, like, get the usher out there and have him rip that sign up, you know. There's no place for that sign. You don't want to take the chance of, of messing up your kicker. I mean, we've all seen John 3.16 before. But, but the question is, have you ever seen this one? Have you ever seen a guy on TV, a sporting event, jumping up and down holding this sign? You know, Luke 9, 23. I mean, it's a great verse. It's a great verse as well. Jesus said, John three sixteen. he spoke the words of Luke 9, 23. The words of John three sixteen are only found in John. These words right here in Luke 9, 23 are also found in Matthew and Mark. These are Jesus' words. Well, we've never seen them being held up in any football game to, to my knowledge. They're this. Luke 9, 23 says, Then he said to them all, Jesus said this, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now you can see why this sign doesn't get held up as often. It's, it's not quite as pretty or, or eloquent or uh, enjoyable as John 3.16. But the truth is that this, you know, it needs to be held up. Luke 9.23. Because there is no John 3.16 without Luke 9.23. The two go together. John 3.16 emphasizes belief. Luke 9.23 stresses following. And there's no true belief unless there's following. I mean, you can't just talk the talk. You have to walk the walk too. Our actions are the greatest indicator of what's really going on on the inside. And if you study the Gospels, you'll find that Jesus used the words believe in me five times... He used the words, follow me, like 20 or so times. You know, Jesus said, follow me. He said it at least 20 times. And Jesus is saying, hey, just, don't just tell me. I, I want you to show me. And that's what Jesus demands of us. And I find that it's pretty interesting that that's what the rest of a non-believing world demands of us too. Don't just tell me. You know, show me in the way that you live. We're concluding a series today. It's about following Jesus. It's about taking the words of Jesus to heart and putting them into action. And we called this series the upside down way of Jesus for a reason, because honestly, a lot of what Jesus says is pretty upside down. It was upside down then. It's upside down today. It's a little lopsided. It doesn't always make sense. And sometimes it just seems wrong. It doesn't really appear like it fits into our culture, like it's a little old fashioned or something. But this morning, I want to take you all of the way back to week one in this series, to a concept that we talked about uh, back in back in March. And we've mentioned it throughout the course of the series on a few occasions. It's the difference between a fan 
of Jesus and a follower of Jesus. Now, there's a difference between being a fan of Jesus and actually being a follower of Jesus. You know, Jesus had a lot of fans, and, and fans get all excited, and they show up for events, and they fill the seats, and they cheer, and they jump up and down, and they do the wave, and, and they make for a great crowd, and Jesus had a lot of fans. But he just wasn't that into fans. I mean, he was more of a follower kind of guy, and, and Jesus didn't ask people to cheer for him. He, he invited people to follow him, because there's a difference between being a fan of Jesus and being a follower of Jesus. It's different with followers. There's a greater level of commitment when it comes to following Jesus. It's walking the walk. It's an openness to change. It's followers take risks. You know, followers make great sacrifices. Followers put themselves second so that Jesus continually comes first in their life. It's the difference between a fan and a follower. I know that question has gotten some of you thinking, and I've I've had a few conversations, and it it got me thinking. And if you process things like me, chances are that you've you've thought about this, and and you want to say, you know what, I get it. All right, I I get it. You know, I want to be a follower. I I don't want to be a fan. I don't want to fit in that category. But but give me something to work with here. I want to be a follower, but is it like a four to five step plan? Is there a book that I can buy, or or a class that we're going to be offering, or something that helps me understand what it means to be a follower? I mean, what is it that I need to do to to be a follower of Jesus? But here's the thing. Following Jesus isn't so much about a a doing or doing it. it, It's about dying. And that's the key word. It's it's kind of the key thought in Luke 9.23. It's not so much about doing as it is dying. You know, following Jesus is about dying. You know, it's denying yourselves. It's dying to your own desires and your plans and wants. It's surrendering all that you have and all you are to Him. You know, not 10%, not 80% of yourself, or even 95% of yourself. Following Jesus means everything belongs to Him. It means everything about you belongs to Him. Your, Your thoughts, your dreams, your family, your future, your finances, that everything belongs to God. It is all a gift from God. It all belongs to Him. Everything gets surrendered to Jesus. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. And that's the only invitation that Jesus ever gave. He never invited anyone to come be a fan of Him. I'm going to say that again because it needs to be so very clear. Jesus never invited anyone to be a fan of him. He only invited us to be followers. I mean, it's kind of like this. Imagine your life is like a cockpit or something, and you know, you're sitting in that driver's seat, and all of the controls of your life are ahead of you, and, and that's just kind of our natural response. I mean, we drive, we've got our hands on the controls, we're making all of the decisions. But what happens if we scoot over to the passenger seat and allow God, allow the Holy Spirit to slip into that driver's seat to, to help move us forward? I mean, we're, we're called to follow. It's better positioning ourselves to follow Jesus. And it's the only option. Because Jesus just really wasn't into fans. And so here's what I want to do right now. I want to just stop for a moment. I want to invite you to put your pen down and put your notes down, put your iPhone away. I'm just kidding. I don't see anybody with their iPhone out. But, 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 but just, just come here with me for a second. Just be focused with me for one second. 
let's suppose you're sitting in Panera. Okay, just picture yourself sitting in Panera. That's where I was when I was writing this. Um, you've got your everything bagel. It's toasted, a little butter on it. Got a hazelnut coffee off to the side, a little cream and sugar. You're sitting there and you're just kind of having some of your own time. No distractions, no kids around, nothing. I come walking through the door. I walk directly up to your table. I sit directly across from the table from you. There's no chit-chat at all whatsoever. Just one question. Are you a fan or a follower of Jesus? Right now in your life, are you a fan or are you a follower of Jesus? Now, I know that when you hear that question, if you're like me, immediately you want to respond, of course, you bet I am. You know, I'm into this follower thing. But remember, I'm not asking you if you make it to church every single week. I'm not asking you if you're in a connection group. I'm not asking you how involved your parents were in church growing up. I'm not asking you if you pray. Uh, if you uh, have been baptized, I'm not even asking you what percentage you gave as an offering last year out of your income. I'm asking you, are you a fan or a follower of Jesus? Because here's what most concern me, concerns me. I, I'm concerned that Jesus is going to return one day and there are going to be people all across this country, people who attend church every week and call themselves followers but on Judgment Day, we'll be declared fans. I'm afraid we have it all wrong in America today. I, that I think we've messed it up. I think we've made following Jesus way too simple. You know, that we've created this impression that fans get into heaven, but Jesus never said anything about being a fan. Everything points to followers. And I know that that is slightly uncomfortable to think about or to even get your mind around this morning because I know it's much easier to assume. But there's a great difference between being a fan of Jesus and being a follower of Jesus. Look at it like this. Have you ever been traveling somewhere? You know, you're in your car, you don't have a GPS, and you're driving down the road, and you're on your way to a destination. You've never been there before, and you just keep driving and driving, and all of a sudden there's just something in your head that doesn't seem right. It's like, you know, we should have been there by now. I, I think I might have missed the wrong turn along the way or the right turn along the way or taken the wrong turn and we've been on this wrong road for way too long. You know, maybe you missed your turn or something. Well, in Matthew chapter 7, and if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there now if you would, the first book of the New Testament. And in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talked about two different roads that lead to completely different places. And this is where I want to end this morning uh, with our Upside Down Way of Jesus series. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 13, Jesus talks about these two different kinds of roads. And I hope that you can picture these roads in your head and maybe find yourself on one of them. Matthew 7, verse 13, Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Now, here's what Jesus is saying. He's talking to a group of people, and he said, hey, many people take the wrong road. 
in life. Many people are stuck on this broader road because it's easier to find yourself on the broad road. Fewer people find themselves on the narrow path. And, And here's what I'm wondering as I read this, as I process that. Is it possible that some of you here this morning think you're on the narrow path, but might possibly be on the broad one? Is it just even possible? I mean, if we take these words of truth, that you might actually be on the road, on the broad road. I mean, that, that you've kind of been cruising through life. You've got cruise control on. You've got you know, even Caleb on the radio or something. And you're running through the motions with life and church and everything. But if you take these words as truth, is it possible that some might be heading down the wrong road? And they think it's the right one. I mean, is it possible that some think they're on the right path, but really not? Now, hear me in this. I, I am not trying to create any undue, you know, fear or paranoia amongst you this morning. Now, I mean, if you can point to a moment in your life when you invited Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, and you asked for his forgiveness, then I believe that you are redeemed by Christ, that you belong to him, you know, that we are a citizen of heaven. You know, and we have been forgiven and, and you are saved and, and you have passed from death to life. So I'm not suggesting that somewhere along the way you lost your salvation or something. I believe I have been saved, you know, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I believe in the one who is able to keep me from falling. I believe that nothing can ever separate me from the love of God that's found in Jesus Christ our Lord. And if Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, I feel the very same thing for you too. God does not demand our perfection. Grace does not get any smaller this morning. It's great. God's grace is greater than anything we could ever possibly imagine. But I also have to acknowledge that Jesus is saying some pretty tough words here, and and he's talking to religious people. And he's speaking these words here in Matthew, and and, and he's saying that there there are those who, who think they are saved but are really not. And, and some people just assume it happens. You know, that if you show up enough Sundays, you're just kind of covered by it all. Some people might even have a really great fan moment or an experience, you know, on a Sunday night or a Sunday morning or at a conference or something, and suppose it just kind of happens. But here's what I'm getting at. I'm afraid that one day Jesus will return and many good, even church-going people might discover that they've missed it too. They've ultimately missed the message and the invitation. And they've been on the wrong road. I mean, is it possible? Is it possible that some here today think they belong to Jesus but are really nothing more than fans? In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, a little bit further along in chapter 7 there, here's what Jesus says. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we did not prophesy in your name and and in your name drive out demons and perform uh, many miracles. Or I'm sorry, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Verse 23, then I will tell them plainly, Jesus says, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. And so Jesus is describing this day of judgment. He's talking about this day when he returns. And in Matthew, Jesus paints the picture where a group of people are standing before him saying, Jesus, we called you Lord. I mean, we said all of the right things. We sang the songs and all. And 
It's people who think everything is fine, but then they find out that it's not fine. It's not just that. It's the difference between a fan and being a follower. Where are you this morning? Are you a, are you a fan of Jesus? Or are you a follower of Jesus? You know, fans say, hey, I, I love this. I love this teaching and whatever. I, I love being a part. But there's just a great portion of my life that I am completely and ultimately responsible for that God can't have a part of. Followers, while not perfect, are continually asking God, what more do you want of me? Jesus, what more can I do for you? Jesus, how can I become more and more like you in my everyday life, in everything that I am and all that I hope to be? Both imperfect people, just two different mindsets. So I came up with a few questions as we wrap up here in just a few minutes. As we look at Matthew 7, there, there are a few questions that I think we can ask of this text to maybe help us better understand what Jesus is getting at and where perhaps we fit into all of this. The first question is, is just this. You don't have to write it down if you don't want to, but if you want to, go ahead. You know, do you think you are a Christian because you say you're a Christian? You know, do you think you're a follower because you say you're a follower? Now, take note of the contrast in verse 21 again. Can we put verse 21 back up there again, Dan? Take note of this contrast. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Okay, and then next he says, only he who does. And so if you want to take note of a couple words here, and if you want to circle a couple of words in your Bible, circle the word says, and then circle the word does. And Jesus is making a distinction here. He's drawing a line in the sand. He's separating the crowd into two crowds of people. And the ones who have said, Lord, Lord, he says, you, you guys are over here. And everyone who has done or who has lived out Lord, Lord, or master, master, or teacher, teacher, whatever you want to say, you stand on this side because Jesus is saying there's a difference between saying and there's a difference between doing. It's talking the talk and it's walking the walk. It's one thing to confess with your mouth, but it's an even greater thing to confess it with your life. And as you think about what a follower of Jesus, you know, looks like, ask yourself, do, do I say it? Am I all about talking the talk or do I live it too? Am I walking the talk with my life? Am I sacrificing? Am I becoming more and more like Jesus every day in all that I do? Do I surrender everything that I have to him? Is he influencing my actions as I think about the way that I love my spouse? Is he influencing my actions as as I think about the way that I act on that next date? that I'm going on? Is he influencing my actions when I think about the movies or the stuff that I allow to come into my my head to, to see with my very own eyes? I mean, anyone can say it, but it's another thing to live it, to really seek out the will of God. Suppose it's like this, and this is just a made up fictional story. Uh, suppose, uh, my wife, my family, and I, we decide we're going to go on a trip for a month be fun to go on a trip for a month, wouldn't it? I can pick some fun places to go for a month. But suppose we're going to go on a trip for a month and we find a a married couple to come and stay at our house while we're gone because there's a number of things that need to happen or be taken care of around our house while we're gone. And so in preparation for their stay and for our our, our departure, uh, I prepare a 15-page manual of all of the do's and don'ts, the routines of our home. 
And there's this manual with detailed instructions of what needs to be done every single day, when the trash needs to be collected, and when it needs to be taken and, and put outside by the street. And then let's just suppose that there are all these pets. You know, we've got a, a pet hamster and a pet fish and pet dogs and cats, which we don't, but let's just suppose we had all of these pets and there were very detailed descriptions about when this animal needed this medicine and how this animal needed held at these certain times a day and when this one needed to be walked and when this box needed to be cleaned out. Again, all of these details, all of these different things right here found in this manual that need to be done. And, and oh yes, let's just say there's that toilet in that hallway bathroom that, that tends to run if you don't jiggle the handle when you're done and it can overflow. And so you need to watch this. And so again, there's just all of these instructions included in this manual. And you've got a couple that say, yes, we're in, we got it. We're committed. We'll make sure that everything's taken care of. And so we go away on our trip and we come back. I'm driving down the street and let's just suppose there's a a load of garbage just right outside of our front door and something is immediately wrong. You know, what happened here? What, what happened? I, I walk in and there's, there's a water stain all over the floor because the toilet has been running the whole time that we're gone. And you look out the back window and there's this like cemetery that has sprung up with all of these different pets that have had to be buried because they passed while we're gone. And, and you'd walk up to the couple and you'd say to them, what happened? You know, I mean, what about all the things that I asked you to do, the things that you committed to? And let's just suppose at that moment they took out the manual and they said, you know what? This is great. We read every single bit of it. In fact, every night before we went to bed, we read another portion of it. I've highlighted different things in here. We've taken some of it to memory. This is really a great manual. We spent a lot of time working through it. We can kind of get caught up into that too, can't we? I mean, even, you know, say that, hey, this is a great book, and I'm all committed to reading it and, and memorizing it. But do we put it into practice? Every word, every command by Jesus saying, you know what, this is truth. This is something that I've been called to do. I mean, you know, this couple, they committed. They never put any of it into practice. Another question to think about as we consider Matthew 7 is, can, can I determine if I'm a follower of Jesus by re- by religious accomplishments. You know, when I asked, are you a fan or a follower of Jesus? Was there any part of you that wanted to go back, you know, to, to some of your religious accomplishments? Because, you know, I do that. And that's what happens here in verse 22. The people defend themselves by saying, hey, we're followers. We prophesied. We drove out demons and performed miracles. I look at this list. It looks pretty impressive to me. I mean, if these guys aren't getting in, I'm not getting in. I've never driven out a demon. I've never made anyone walk. But that's not the point. Jesus is using these exceptional items here to make it very clear that religious accomplishments do not determine if you are a follower. You can run an orphanage in Africa. You can make every Sunday at your church for 52 weeks straight, give 10%. You can follow follow your own rules, make up your own rules. But like the Pharisees and the point that Jesus is trying to make, it's easy to think that you're a follower by what you've done. And so what is it? Well, it's really another question. And it's the most, most important question. It's, do you know Jesus? I mean, do you really know the one that you've invited to be the Lord of your life? And maybe a better way is to ask the question like this. Does Jesus know you? Because it's in verse 23 that he says to these guys, 
I never knew you. And that's the big difference. It all comes down to the question, do you really know Jesus? And I know your reaction is like mine. It's it's to say, yes, you know, but I'm not asking you if you know about Jesus or even if you like coming to church. I'm asking, do you know Jesus? Do you really understand what it is that he's done for you? Do you understand the life that he has made available to you and to me, the life that he has invited us to live? I mean, is he the most important relationship in your life? Does he have your heart? Does he have all of your dreams and your desires? And I I know I've mixed this up. You know, many times during my life, it's knowing Jesus versus knowing about Jesus. I mean, I was a pretty prideful kid, a pretty prideful teenager when it came to my relationship with Jesus. I went to church every week. We went on Sunday night. We had youth group during the week. You know, I, I did all these things. I went to a Christian college, and I got a kick out of what I knew. In fact, I, I was thinking back to this uh, when I was growing up in church. I, I think I was right at that point just getting ready to go into middle school. Um, I, I took a lot of pride in the fact that I had memorized all 66 books of the Bible in order. All right, I could say them all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament. I could say them really fast. I, I could maybe try and say them in one breath. And, and, and people got a kick out of it at church. And they'd hear about it and they'd say things, and even to the point that one time the pastor invited me up on a Sunday night at our Sunday night worship service to say the books of the Bible from beginning to end. And then get this, because here's the catch but then to turn around and say them backwards. Huh? Can you believe it? Did you know your pastor was that cool? All right, I mean, that question didn't even come up in the interview. That I could say them forwards and I could say them backwards. I can't do it anymore, but I could do it then. And, you know, I thought I was really cool for it. And, I mean, can you imagine all of the girls that wanted to date me for that coolness? All right, that coolness. That, that's what I was all about when I was in middle school. All right? But you know that you know why that's important because one day I'm going to stand before Jesus on the judgment day and the question that he's going to ask is can you say the books of the Bible forward and can you say the books of the Bible backwards and I'll be able to say I think I can I'm, I used to or whatever and you know he'll put all of us over on one side and then for the others he'll say hey you can just head to the stairway and just keep going down and and down and down until you get to the bottom of the floor haha you know I'm just I'm just kidding that's really not the case but seriously we can confuse knowing about Jesus with really what it means to know Jesus, and I've done it. But here's what I want for you before we finish today. I just really want this to be a moment of truth here for you this morning. I mean, are you following Jesus? And for some of you, it will take incredible courage to say, you know what? I'm nothing more than a big fan. And I know that that's hard to say and that would take incredible humility. And and maybe you're like, I've been going to church all my life. I I know my life is with Jesus and I am saved by grace, but but I can't tell you that following Jesus has ever cost me anything. I've sacrificed nothing for him. Are you comfortable with that? Or, Or maybe you would say that you make a great Sunday Christian and you've got the look on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday is all about you. It's whatever you want and whatever you choose. And you know you're a fan because you've put other relationships before Jesus and your relationship with him. And maybe this is, is this morning, maybe there for some of you, you are awakening to the possibility that you've never invited Jesus Christ into your heart. You've never put your trust in him. You haven't accepted his invitation to follow. If, if, if this is you, any of these scenarios, and if I were sitting across the table from you at Panera right now, my second question would be this. What's keeping you from following? 
what's keeping you from following? What, the, what is it that's, that's keeping you from truly surrendering your life to the one who's already given every bit of it for you? You know, going back to Luke 9, 23, one more time. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I mean, what is it that's keeping you from surrendering every bit of your life to Jesus? I mean, maybe right now it's, your, it's just your lifestyle. It's the life that you're caught up in. Maybe it's a timing thing. You just can't help be like, you know, I'm just in this busy season right now. When I get through this season and we get to next year, maybe then. Maybe one day, but right now, not right now. Or, or maybe you're making some choices in your life right now that you know aren't pleasing to Him. God still loves you. He loves you no less for your sin, for my sin, for our faults. But, but you're caught up into some choices right now that you, you know aren't pleasing. You're, you're caught up in a sexual relationship that isn't right. I mean, is that what's keeping you from surrendering your all to Jesus? Maybe it's fear. I mean, you feel more confident for whatever reason when you are, are in control, but do you really? Do you really feel more confident when you know that you're in control, or at least you think you are? You know, maybe you're trapped in a, a pattern of sin. It's drugs or an addiction to alcohol. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's just a, a great lack of trust. I mean, or, or did we or another church make it way too simple for you? We, we didn't appropriately or accurately help you understand really what Jesus was inviting you to do in surrendering your life to Him. Or, or did you get by, burned by the, the last church that you attended? Which I'm so sorry for, but, it, but it's so unfair for you to to put Jesus in that same category as, as whatever church that maybe burned you or whatever person burned you in some way. But maybe this is keeping you from seeing Jesus for who He really is. What's keeping you from surrendering your all to Jesus? Just in concluding with this story, you know, Elisha is a prophet in the Old Testament. He was found in 1 Kings 19. And, and when we catch up to Elisha in 1 Kings 19, he's, he's plowing a field with 12 yoke of oxen. So he's got 24 total oxen that he's working this field. And this is an indication that Elisha was living a pretty good life. Very wealthy man prior to being called by God. He's doing well for himself. But all of a sudden, one day, God shows up and he calls him to follow. He says, Elisha, I want you to follow me. And what does Elisha do? If you read the text for yourself and you can read it later, he says, he doesn't say, hey, wait until I get the harvest in. Or, or let me get through this next season, this time in my life right now. As soon as I get some things in order or get some things straightened up or get to a better place, you know, then I'll be ready to go. He doesn't say, well, I need to pray about it first. You know, I need to pray and see if this is right. Here's what he does. Elisha, he gathers up all of his farm equipment, all of the plows, all of the equipment that he has, his home, all of these oxen. He piles them up in one big pile and he sets a fire. I mean, he literally burned everything that he owned. He had this great big barbecue, you know, invited all the people to come. You know, they served up ox, right? But he burned everything that he had. And the people are confused, wondering what he's doing. But here's what Elisha was doing. He was saying, I'm choosing to follow God and I'm not coming back. I'm not doing this halfway. I'm all in. He doesn't keep one hand on the plow 
And so he burns the plow so that he has no reason to come back. And maybe that's what some of you need to do today. I mean, you need to start a really, really big fire. You know, there is something in your life that is keeping you from following Jesus. And it's going to seem like a really big sacrifice. But the best thing that you can do is start your own sort of fire. And for some of you, you know what? You probably need to start a real fire. A figurative one. And make sure your mom's there. You've got an extinguisher or something. But for some of you, you need to burn something. You need to burn some things. Maybe it's a magazine subscription. Maybe it's a set of movies or or CDs or something. You know, maybe you need to rip the TV satellite off of the roof of your home and throw it in the fire. There's a real possibility that you need to burn something that's keeping you from following Jesus, but maybe it's more symbolic. You just need to let go of the things or the thing that is keeping you from following. What is it? Don't be satisfied being a fan. Let's be followers. Let's be followers of Jesus. Will you bow your heads with me? As you bow your heads, God, we we just pray this morning, Lord, that whatever work you're choosing to do uh, in anyone's heart here today, that you would continue it uh, to great perfection, allowing nothing to stand in the way. I mean, with every head bowed still, I mean, let me... you're, You're a Christian... And uh, you invited Jesus Christ into the Lord of your life, uh, to be the Lord of your life. My my prayer today is that you would find uh, no fear whatsoever that in some way it wasn't true or it wasn't right because we believe that everyone has been bought with a price, uh, that it can't be reversed. And we thank God, we thank Jesus for his death. But, But you know, and maybe part of the realization this morning over these past few weeks is that you've been halfway. You're kind of one foot in and one foot out. And, and it's been like that for a season or it's been that, like that for a long time. And maybe this morning the commitment that you're making is you want to follow Jesus. You want to be a follower. And you know what, friends? That's the, that's the first place we can begin. It's just to say that's what I want. And you can pray, God, will you show me what it means to be a follower of you? Would you give me the faith to surrender everything that I have to you? Would you give me great trust and great hope for what lies ahead? And would you use me in specific ways to accomplish your great work? For others of you, you know you kind of fall into that gray area right now. And maybe this morning there's a bit of unease or anxiety of really wondering where you fit into all of this. And maybe we've miscommunicated the message or someone miscommunicated the message along the way. But but you just don't know. But here's what you know. You want to be a follower of Jesus. You want to surrender your life to the one who's given his for you. Saved by his grace. Saved by his great forgiveness. Covered forever. God loves every single one of us and he gave his son Jesus so that we might find life and we might find hope and new beginnings. I pray for you this morning. God, I I pray for those in this room right now who just see themselves in that place where maybe they had it all wrong and they want to make the decision to follow you today. God, may they understand and know your love and know your forgiveness that you don't ask us to be perfect, that you ask Jesus to do that in our place. 
May we know and understand that love today. And, and I know that there may be some here today that you are so new to all of this, and we love that you are here. I want you to know that we love that you are here, and you can be here for as long as you like. But maybe this morning God is getting a hold of your heart, and you want that love and you want that forgiveness too. You can pray, God, will you forgive me? Will you forgive my sins and give me eternal life? And if you pray that prayer this morning, I promise you that you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And God, as a church, you know, and for everyone who calls this place their home, we want to be followers. That's what we want to be known for. And we realize that we are not perfect in this, and we won't be, and we are destined to stumble, but we are not satisfied being fans of Jesus Christ. We want to be followers of Jesus Christ when we're together, when we're apart in everything that we do. And so we pray now, God, that you would take us and use us, God, in whatever ways you choose, and show us along the way how to go. We stand and we give you that praise. We make that commitment to you this morning, and it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.